Hello, welcome to Bible Marathon and it's dinner time. The word of God we believe is the best sustenance for the spirit, which is why we are taking our time to study and dine on the word of God. So, join us at the table for word dinner. For those that just joined, welcome. We are reviewing the book of, um, and we're reviewing Philippians 3. So we just want to know what can everyone learned last week. Um, okay, no one is saying anything. So Philippians 3 was already established in the book of Philippians from 1 and 2 that Paul, Paul was writing to the Philippian church right, to, to keep their joy regardless of what is going on around them and then they should also you know they should um contend for this the faith it was commending them for their ability to contend that for their work in contending for the faith in keeping the the um the integrity of the gospel and it was also encouraging them to to continue right and then it starts in this um in chapter three it says finally my brethren rejoice in the lord like again this is someone writing from a place where, I mean, this is someone that was in a state where you would not expect him to be happy, not even talk of have joy or anything, right? It says rejoice in the Lord. And it says for me to write these same things to you is not tedious, but for you is safe. And just point out that he has been saying these things, like he has been, he has been repeating it like over and over again, like in chapter one, chapter two, and I've probably told them this before, but is is this this just shows the the um the importance of emphasis the importance of um, repetition right is reminding them over and over again so if if um he, he doesn't think it's too much if he has to constantly remind them to rejoice because when we live in a world where it is easy to forget these things as christian i remember um, one of one of my pastors sermon where it was like it, it was it's easy to come to church you know on Sunday you're all hyped up you're ready to you know go out there and take over the world and then when you go out on Monday you you get choked by the cares of this world right by bills that are coming after you your workplace is hell you know the economy is bad and everything so it's easy to forget all these things but Paul is emphasizing it again, is reminding them again. And he's saying for him to write this sentence, it's not tedious, it's for but for them it's safe. So emphasis is very, very important, right? And then it continues in verse two. It says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of demotivation. And I remember LP explaining what um dogs mean, like it was explaining why Paul used the term dog. Does anybody remember? Don't talk about it. Yes, do you want to say something? Um, people are going against the gospel of Jesus by positioning themselves as Gentiles. Hmm. That's what he described um dogs as. That's what Peter said, right? Yeah. So yeah, along that line. So you are someone who. So in, I remember when he when he first explained this, he used the example of you know when Jesus. When this is this is this, or she is or she this Syrophoenician woman, but this this woman, this non-Jewish woman, this gentle woman that came to to Jesus to heal a child, and then Jesus um used said something like use the ex- example of 
you not giving what belongs to the child to the to dogs, right? So what what why did why was that contrast dog used? Dog dog was used to point to people who are not parts who were not part of the promise, right? And in in our in our time now, now as Christians, now that Jesus Christ has fulfilled the promise, he has died on the cross, he has resurrected. We can now partake, um, the gospel is open to even Gentiles. Before, the people that were referred to as dogs, like in this sense, it's not supposed to be like an insult, but it's supposed to be like, that, like to depict the reality of what we were. We're Gentiles, people not part of the promise. Now, it's not just you being Gentile, it's people that have alienated themselves from um or the no how would I how would I put it? People that have chosen to dissociate themselves from the gospel, right? From the message of the gospel, whether they were born Jews or they were Gentiles, right? So as long as you have, you've dissociated yourself from that from, from the gospel, and those are those are the people that um Paul was referring to as dogs. And in this particular context, if we read on, if, if in this particular context, seeing where he was writing from, he was talking specifically to Jew, Jewish people, um, Jews that Jews that are not preaching the, the gospel of, of Jesus. So Jews that are saying that, okay, even if you want, if you if for you to become a partaker of the promise, you still have to follow the law. And we and we know that that's not what that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is you're saved by grace alone through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? So this dog, him saying dogs, him um, asking the Philippian church um, to be aware of dogs was beware of people that come to dilute the gospel, that come to give you another message apart from the main message that was preached to you. And then it continues, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. So all these things, if you if you look at the ter- terminologies that it was using, evil workers, people who do, people who whose work is evil, who do, who carry out um, works of the flesh, right? Beware of the mutilation. Mutilation is just to describe um, the physical circumcision, circumcision of the of the um, actual physical body. It's trying to refer to the same thing. It's trying to refer to the same set of people. People who are insisting that Gentiles have to be circumcised before they can be a part, before they can be partakers of the promise of God. People who are insisting that Gentiles have to follow the law. Gentiles have to follow the law of Moses before they can you know, become partakers of the promise or of, of what Jesus Christ has done. So he's asking them to beware of these people. And he continues, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, who rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, right? So verse three contrast um, is showing a, um, a contrast to verse two. So it's telling you to beware of people who are asking you to do this thing. Why, why should you, why should you um, run away from them? Why should you, you know, watch out for these people? Because we are the true circumcision, right? We don't need to be circumcised again. Because we um, we don't need to be circumcised again in the flesh because um, we're the circumcision. Like the, the circumcision of the flesh was supposed to point to the reality that we now experience, right? We worship God in the spirit. Our access, we, we worship God in the spirit. We rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. 
you know, in verse two, it says, "Beware of evil workers, people that people that feel like they have to work, people that trust in their own ability, people that trust in their own ability to, to you know, to become to attain righteousness." In the sight of God, it says, we do not have confidence in our flesh. We, we, we do not have confidence in our flesh. Our confidence, our boasting is in Christ Jesus, is in what Jesus Christ has done, right? And then he continues in verse 4, which is one of, one of from verse 4 to verse 8, is, is it verse, verse um, 10, sorry, is like my favorite verse, in my favorite um, set of verses in this chapter 3. And from verse four, Paul now started. Paul was trying to show them that he's not just saying all these things because he's not. He's not just saying all these things because he feels like um, the law is so hard and it's not something someone can do. So he says, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, like if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. So he was telling them that okay, these guys that are coming to tell you that you have to carry, you have to you know, try to attain righteousness by the law. So when you see confidence in the flesh, it's just talking about you having to depend on your own work, on your own work, on your own ability to attain righteousness in Christ. That's what it means. And of course, that is that is um, the opposite of putting our confidence in Jesus Christ, boasting in Jesus Christ. I hope I've, um, we all understand so far. I hope I'm not confusing anybody. Yes, we do. Thank you. Oh, okay. All right, so guys, please let's um let's try to like interact. So he now starts in um you no know, from verse four, laying out his credentials, right? Laying out his credentials. And I remember P explaining last week that anybody that read now now in the twenty first century we might not really understand what all these things mean, right? What does it mean to be circumcised? What's so special about you know being circumcised on the eighth day or being the stock of Israel? But when someone back then sees all these credentials, they know that okay, Paul is not just one any random person. Like is the is the real deal. Like when you when you talk about okay, you are looking for someone that you can say this person is a true Jew, is a Jew to the core. It's just like saying that, for example, you are you're looking for someone in the lineage of in the um, someone that you can like that is closely associated to say for example the, the royal family right there are some people that you know that you that you just hear them for example someone can just come and say oh i'm brit i'm british maybe the person um got his citizenship by you know staying there for a couple, um, couple of, of of time by naturalization i think that's what they call it where you stay there for a couple of time and then you become eligible to acquire citizenship right but then there are some people that they are they are like British, their blood is running in their vein is British blood. Like if you trace their ancestors back, 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 like they were their ancestors were the ones that founded the British, you know, British nation, if you if you can call it like that. So that was kind of like what Paul was trying to do here. Said it was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And I also remember that P pointed out the fact that the fact that he says he points out that he's from the tribe of Benjamin is a huge deal. So if you remember, like the promise of the Messiah, um, if you remember um the promise of the Messiah from from the Old Testament, one of the things that 
one of one of the um one of the things that was said was that the Messiah was going to come from Judah, right? And if you know the story of Israel, the history of Israel, when Israel splits from being like after the um after the reign of Solomon, you know, under the reign of um the son of um Solomon's son, um, the nation of Israel had to split into two. The southern parts where the where the Messiah was supposed to come from was Judah, uh, consisted of the tribe of Judah and, and Benjamin, right? So Paul was telling, Paul was kind of saying that, like, even, like, um, the, of this stock of Israel, like, where the Messiah is supposed to come from, go, 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 like, that's my own nation. I'm not just from any place in, in Israel, right? So he's saying a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee. And if you know Pharisees, Pharisees are the ones that are said to have the highest training and and they're they are said to be the strictest sect in in the in, when it comes to Jewish law right so when it says concerning the law I, I was blameless like concerning zeal persecuting the church concerning righteousness which is in the law blameless meaning if the law says don't do this I don't do this if I do this and this is what is required as like as um, sacrifice maybe as maybe um sacrifice to atone for this thing it has to do like every law that the law said that the law gave right everything that the law said he did it he tried as much as possible to you know follow through the law but he now he now said in verse seven he says but what things were gained to me these i have this i have counted loss for christ Yet, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain, that I may gain Christ. What was he trying to say? It was just trying to say that all these things, like all these credentials that would be of great advantage to him. Just like I said, just think of someone in a country that you're trying to say in the US or UK, these are, these are like countries that have, that their citizenship carries like, I think the highest weight in the world. Now, if you're a US citizen, UK citizen, like if you have the citizenship of those countries, you're like, it's a huge deal, right? In From world view, it's a huge deal, right? To the extent that a lot of people are paying money, they are trying, they are best doing everything they can to gain citizenship in these countries. Right, so he, he was listing his credentials. He was saying that I, when it comes to the law, I have standing. I can boast. Right, when it comes to you know, these works of seemingly works of the flesh, like if if I wanted to, if I wanted to boast, I'm I'm not saying that we should not boast. It, it was so. What he was trying to say is, he was not telling the church, the Philippians, not to boast because he he, he didn't have any ground to boast. Boast. He had ground to boast. He had reason to boast. But those things to him now, compared to what he has, compared to what he has in Christ Jesus, compared to the value that he sees in Christ Jesus, right? All those things that seem like, all those things that seem like um, good advantage for him, he counts them as loss. He counts them as nothing, right? They they don't want anything. They don't. They don't want anything compared to compared to the value of knowing Jesus. Compared to just like you said in 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 verse eight, it says, "Yes, indeed, I also count all these things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, 
right, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. So he was willing to suffer the loss of all, he was willing to lose whatever he felt he had or whatever he felt was advantageous to him. He was willing to count them as rubbish so that he might gain Christ. And gain Christ here doesn't mean he's doing all these things so that Christ can accept him, right? So, so that he can, like, he's, he, he's counting all these things as loss so that he can experience Christ. Let's try to read this in another translation. Maybe it will help us. Let me see. Let me try um, HCSB. Yeah, verse 8. So more than that, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So can you see um, what the New King James Version translated as gaining Christ is translated knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So when you put those three things side by side, knowing Jesus Christ, experiencing Jesus Christ is a lot more valuable than all those other things. It says, because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them few so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is true faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God based on faith, right? So here again, Paul is contrasting between righteousness, um, the his own righteousness from the law and righteousness based, the righteousness that is based on faith in Christ Jesus, and just um, just like the contrast that he has been he has been given since, the righteousness based on faith in, in Christ Jesus is worth more. It has surpassing value compared to the righteousness that you can gain from the law, right? And he continues. He says, "My goal is to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of his, of His suffering, being conformed to His death, assuming that I will somehow reach the the resurrection." From among the dead. So let me let me go back to anything. I think I'm more comfortable um, with that. Yeah. Are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm free now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Vicky. Yeah, just to save time so we can, you know, continue. But I think that I continue sharing my screen. Or... Yes, please. Yes, please. Okay. Yeah, I, I I think this review has been very helpful because some of us probably need that um, refresher. Can you hear me loud and clear? Yes. Okay. Perfect. Okay, so let's jump to verse 17. Lord, I pray that as we just continue here, you, you help us see things clearly. Help us see things clearly. Help us see all that you would have us see. Our eyes are open. The eyes of revelation are open. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so let's just read straight away and then we'll jump into the next next chapter. By the way, so far, Paul has been establishing some so many things um showing that he has nothing to boast about even though he achieved so much and at the end of the day he wants to leave them with something which is hey this is how you ought to live and remember last time i talked about following his example right following his example let's see if i can do that okay so um paul was trying to get there minds to think on how they ought to live and so he says well one thing you can do is follow my example and i was establishing last time that following the example of paul does not mean dressing like him right do you remember that it doesn't mean acting like him walking like him actually it talks about a pattern to follow a pattern of righteousness a pattern of selflessness and a pattern of humility 
where you realize that even though I've done N A B C D, um, I'm still I still have a goal. I still have a destination. I still want to attain perfection. And that's the model to follow. So if you're following anyone, you should follow their example. Their example in purity, right? Their example in um, being noble in their lives, right? The character and all of that. So he says, brethren, verse 17. Let's read together. Let's follow together, okay? Philippians 3, 17. He says, brethren, Join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So there are some people, apart from Paul, that you should pay attention to. In fact, many of you, by, by just naturally, you know certain people that just stand out. You just know these people, they are following God and they're just followers. Like, do you get what I mean? Like, you can tell there's a passion. And they are following. Some of you right now, if I give you like two minutes, what am I saying? 10 seconds. You can think of four names of certain people that would you could put in this category of those who so walk, you know, following a pattern of spiritual disciplines, following a pattern of growing in the faith, following a pattern of leaving everything they've achieved to follow Christ and seeing Christ as most valuable and you see that in their devotion i mean it's obvious right when the apostles in acts chapter 6 were looking for people to replace them in the service of tables he said look for men amongst you who are full of wisdom and of the spirit so the fact that they could point out some people amongst them is very significant so there are always going to be those people who excel at certain things and Paul is saying follow those people like follow their example <laughs> now he's not saying because a lot of people might fall into this trap he's not saying that these people are the goal are you listening to me he's not saying these people are the goal he's saying these people are models to follow why is that important if you set someone as a goal, how many of you have had people in your lives that you set as a goal and they did something and you almost lost trust in Christianity or you, or you just lost your faith in this thing we're doing? Just because it's like, how can someone so deep in God do this? And many of us have had you know, experiences like that. We've seen people who have done things like that. And we're like, How? And so we're not told to follow them as the goal, but follow the pattern we observe, the pattern of devotion that we see, right? And that's because um, the pattern, it will, I don't have a screen anymore. I think Victoria left. If anyone is able to share their screen, you can do the honors. Or let me try something. Let me try sharing my screen here. Let me join. Can you guys still hear me? Yes? No? Yes, I can. Yes, we can. All right, thank you. I want to try something. I can help if you need help. Oh, yes, you can, please. But I want to see if I can share my my screen. Mm. Oh, I can, actually. So let's see if this will allow me to start broadcast. All right, you guys can see my Bible. That's good. Yeah, so I mean, this is even better. You guys can see how... I then this is just the one showing all the different translations. Hold on. Yeah, let's stay with this one. Okay. And then my picture should not be. 
All right. Are we good? Yes. Perfect. So I was saying that God wants us to follow an example. God doesn't want us to follow follow people as the goal. The only goal you should have in your life is to be like Christ. All right. To be Christ-like in every sense of that word. To, to experience his perfection, to experience his the, the, the fullness of Christ. So don't have people as the goal. They will, people will fail. The Bible just talks about men. You know, it says, I'm, talks about God and says, I'm, I'm not a God that can lie or repent. I'm not a man, right? And and that's a picture of the 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 um unchanging nature of God and the variableness of man. And so why you should trust men, you have every right to and every reason to trust men and women. Don't base your um sorry, don't base your entire faith on their own perfection. This is so important, and I'm I'm emphasizing it again because, I mean, how many times have we seen people who we've looked up to and they've failed, and then people leave the faith because of that? It just shows that their faith was in the wrong place. Christ is the one we are setting as the goal and the target, which is why Paul said, "I I look forward to the things that are before. I I don't look at the things behind. I press on towards the mark of what." the high calling of God in Christ. Christ is the destination, all right? So look at what he says in verse 18, talking about the opposites of these people and people you should run from, basically. It says, for many walk of whom I have told you often, right? Of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. By the way, I don't know if I've ever taught you this. If you have an, if you have the KJV, and you see, you see something like this. What does it mean? Who can tell me? That they are what this this thing in italics. What does that mean? They added it. Yes, so it's added for the flow. It doesn't. It's not in the originals. All right. So it makes sense, but just be careful of that. So he says, I tell you, even weeping, the enemies of the cross of Christ. Talking about them. Can someone read verse 19? Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. So look at these categories describing these people. The end of these people is destruction. He's describing the people we should not follow after, people who are not Christ-minded, people who are, um, you know, not following Paul's example. And he describes them this way. Now, remember, following Paul's example means following Christ. That's, that's the connection you need to see. So he says, whose end is destruction? Whose God is their belly? What does that mean? What does whose God is their belly mean? And it's just it's only to you see that seems to be talking. If anyone else can can respond to that would be great. Even if it's on the chat. Um, is it like they're driven by money? Right. That's exactly right. It's an appetite problem. So let me show you this. You see, who's God belly? So basically, he's just making the point that. 
their what instructs them is their appetite. Look at this. God, Theos, okay, and belly is koilia, but actually it means many things. Amongst those things is appetite, which you can get from here. So, by the way, Thea's definition, I don't know if you have this in your in your own Bible app, but the when you say belly, you're talking about oh, oh, this is um Esau. This is what I used to study. Right, sorry. So this is describing the word because the word has many um uses. There's belly, there's womb, wombs. So which one? How do we know which one is intended here? Where it says, "Whose God is here? Whose God is their belly?" How do we know which one? We know by the context. So let's look at an example. Let's look at um. 1 Corinthians 6.13, for example. This one is literal. Meat for the belly and belly for meat. So that's literal. But I believe this. Look at this is another context. By the way, you people know English, so this will make sense to you. Look at Romans 16.18. For they are they so for they that are such, anyway, sorry. For they that are such serve not. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, but their own what? Belly, same word, koilia. And we know, obviously, in this context, it doesn't mean they are serving their stomach, right? You can't serve your stomach. You can't bow down to your stomach. It just means they are not serving God, but their own desires, their own appetites. So this is how you can know the correct context. Even the next verse follows it. it says, and by good words and fair speeches, deceive even the heart of the simple. So that is the context of belly here. It doesn't mean physical stomach. Um, many times it just has to do with appetite and the context will help you with that. So let's go back to our normal reading. Is this helpful? Because I feel like I should be doing this style more, more often. So you guys see the process of Bible study. All right. So... We, we've seen the first one. Whose God is their belly? So their appetite is what rules them. Whose glory is in their shame? Now, this is one complex one I want you guys to see. So whose glory, doxa, I believe. Yes. And then shame is aistruni. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Sorry about that. I'm just, I don't know. Allergy season. Maybe it's more than that. You guys should help me research on this. Okay. Are we are we back? So shame. Shame has to do with um disgrace. So don't think of shame as you know, shame on you necessarily. The context here just means something disgraceful. So something worth scorning. And basically he's saying their glory. Right, whose glory, doxa, meaning what they glorify, what they celebrate, is in their shame. So they celebrate that which is shameful, worthy of disgrace, dishonorable conduct. Can someone give me one example of that? One simple example of someone's glory in their shame. They celebrate what is shameful. This is how to study. Okay. 
um, this is a practical example, which I really, I just recently saw mm-hmm. how, how someone put on Twitter, how people that are virgin should be ashamed of themselves. So in that sense, that person is glowing in something that should be shameful because as everyone has, the way God made us, and obviously as Christians especially, we, this is what God has told us to do. And but it's something like she was glowing in and shaming other people for that. So I think that's practical for me when you say something like glowing in shameful acts. So I don't know if that example makes sense, but that's an example. Yeah, that, that can work as well. So it's like something that should be um, seen as virtuous, which is not being loose sexually, like keeping yourself is what the world is now making to be a shameful thing. You know, conversations like, ah, you've not had sex before, you're missing, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? And people celebrating um, promiscuity rather than your your uh, devoutness or your um, so say chastity, right? Exactly, celebrating people who have made, you know how people will be up there posting hush puppy, you remember? That season, Hot Puppy was posting all his, every, all his cars, all his Gucci, everything. There's even a pastor recently. I watched a documentary of one pastor that everything he wore was like bling bling, black man like this. And he was duping people in his church. You know, he was doing a lot of scams. One day he was preaching. And then as he was preaching, he was, obviously his doctrine is rubbish. He was preaching and then some guys from the door were coming inside and immediately he saw them he just went flat on the floor they took his chain they took everything they took things from all his church members and they left <laughs> and he was now making himself look like you know um that's the you know people people are after me all of that god god um thinks i'm special and we'll just say a lot of weird stuff anyway you don't want to celebrate materialism in any way or form so anyone who is pushing for materialism or they find pride in just wearing certain clothing elements and they say they preach christ i don't know it's it's suspicious at 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 best and destructive at worst right because you're you're misleading people um to think that walking with christ or fellowshipping with christ has some direct relationship with your prosperity, your financial prosperity. And Paul, what did Paul say about that? In 1 Timothy 6, Paul said, anyone who is teaching you that godliness is a means to great gain, he says, from such depart. Run away from people who teach you or equate godliness, living for Christ, as being equal to success in life. If you live for Christ, you it's not guaranteed that you'll be rich. And so anyone who is communicating that either by actions, by their wealth, by what they put out there, you should be you should be careful about those people. Uh, but I think one strong example for whose glory is in their shame is the whole pride movement, right? Um, you know, people who are celebrating the very things Jesus Christ died for. Like Jesus Christ died for the sin of homosexuality. Jesus Christ died for um, everything around that, every form of sexual immorality, any 
any and the word for this is uncleanliness, right? We studied this in Galatians. Uncleanliness encapsulates everything that is sexually done outside of the context of safety in marriage. So whether it is whatever, you know, pornography, um, um, sexual um, sales or how this, what they call that, the sex slavery, um, prostitution, um, homosexuality, um, fornication, all those things are in the same bracket of uncleanliness, right? These are things God did not design for, for us to function. And science is catching up to God's word, you know? Scientists, sociologists, all these people are investigating and realizing, oh, wow, cohabitation is not the right idea. Um, you know, people having sex before marriage is not God's idea. It doesn't work. Like, it doesn't make sense for a long-term, lasting, trustworthy relationship, right? There are a lot of things that they're coming to discover now. And you just realize God had said it several decades and centuries and millennia ago. Like, I want the beauty of marriage to be such that every sexual enjoyment should be in that context it's safe you can trust this person with your body you trust they are not going to leave you tomorrow you get like there is a safety in that and there is there is there is there is growth in that right there is if you hear people that have been married for many years i i was watching a video one um recently and um was it a video i think they interviewed some married couples and they were asking them about when did they have the best sex like when would they say in their lives and most of them were saying oh like in their 50s they were beginning to have the best sex in their 50s that's not what people are telling us out there people are telling us have the best sex before marriage have the best sex outside of marriage right have the best sex by just being on a dating app and doing whatever you want but Research and actual married couples are telling us it gets better. So you can see that people who are glorying in shameful things have missed the point. Like people putting their trust and their happiness and their joy or they are promoting that conversation or that idea that you can do it your own way and get get away with it. Nope. You know, I do some research. I don't want you guys to be in, you know, what I'll call like a theological echo chamber, right? Like you can many times just be in your own space and you're not seeing what is happening outside, right? You're not paying attention to the trends. You're not paying attention to what, I think sometimes it's helpful to know how people are thinking outside of the church building. Because that what that does to you is it gives you perspective. You can question things you, you always thought and find out if it actually aligns with reality, right? Um, I just wanted to bring that up. But you get the idea of whose glory is in their shame, meaning they are glorying in distasteful, um, repulsive things. And then he says, who mind earthly things? And so what does that tell you about the person in Christ? If this is describing the person who is not in Christ, who has no plan to follow Christ, then what do you think the person following Christ should look like? So let's replace every single thing in Philippians 3.19 together. If you can do this in the chat, that would be beautiful. Replace everything in Philippians 3.19 with the equivalent 
experience of the Christian. So you're going to switch up whose end is destruction to what the Christian actually experiences. Whose glory, whose God is their belly, replace that in your own words. Whose glory is their shame, replace that. And who mindedly things. And what you come up with, if it is accurate, if I give you 10 over 10, that is how you ought to live. That is what you should spend your life doing, all right, or thinking or believing. So I'm going to give you some time to type that in the chat. So again, do me a favor. Type Philippians 3.19 in the, put your name there, version. Switch it up and describe the experience of a Christian as against these people Paul was describing. Whose end is restoration? Okay. Whose God is Jesus? Nice. Whose glory is in Jesus? Okay. Who mind heavenly things? Nice, nice. Okay. Um, I would love you to, to refine that a little bit. Um, see, you tried. Refine it with actual words of, um, with actual words. Okay, good. Faith says, um, whose end is preservation? Exactly. So instead of being destroyed, they are being protected. Right? That would be the exact opposite. Or you could say whose end is no end <laughs> because they don't get destroyed, if that makes sense. Thank you. Yeah. Victoria got his too. So whose end is everlasting life? Remember, that's the experience of the Christian. Yes. Right. All right. And then, and I think, oh, she also said an eternal life with God. I didn't see that part. I'm sorry. But she's also right. So both of you are right there. Who are led by the spirit who boasts in Christ. Are you seeing the interesting thing here? What, what faith is actually doing is what Paul expects you to do. And I did, I asked this, I asked you to do this because you realize that Philippians 3.19 is the opposite of Philippians 3 from verse 3. So let's let's look at it again. You are the circumcision. What does that mean? You are protected. Remember what happened to Moses? Remember the story, right? He was almost killed, and his circumcision was what protected him. Do you remember that? So it was his identification with God through the ritual of circumcision that preserved him from death. What is the second thing he says? We worship God in the spirit. And in contrast to um, Philippians 3.19, where it says, um, whose God is their belly, meaning they worship their appetite. We instead serve God with our spirit. We serve God, not our appetite. And we don't do it with our strength. We do it with the spirit, which is what Philippians 3.3 says. I hope this is like, you know, blowing your mind a little bit to show you that Paul was very intentional with what he was saying. And then the next thing we see here is what we rejoice in Christ Jesus, which is in contrast to what the people of the world rejoice in. What do they rejoice in? Shameful things, right? So the glory in the work of Christ, if you are a Christian, in contrast to glorying in shameful things, which is also what uh, Toyosi said, right? Whose glory is in Jesus? We, we glory in Christ. We rejoice in Christ Jesus. Then the next thing here is what? Who mind earthly things? But you, what do you do? You mind heavenly things. So instead of putting your trust in things that are physical, you're putting your trust in things above. 
which is in line with this, putting no confidence in the flesh and actually putting your confidence in what is above or trusting in what is above or setting your mind on heavenly things. So do you see the relationship? I want to be sure we all saw the creativity in, in Paul's writing where he's saying, hey, you are the circumcision. You worship God in the spirit. You boast in Christ. You don't put confidence in the flesh as against the unbeliever who, by definition, their end is destruction, right? This exactly, Colossians 3.1 as well, you know, their end is destruction. Um, they, they put their confidence in the wrong things. They put their boast, they rejoice in, in the wrong things, right? So let's round off this chapter. Look at how it ends it. Philippians 3.20. For our conversation is in heaven. What is, what is the word conversation? Who can tell me? I thought this yes last week, oh, but the word conversation there in the Greek is politioma. You don't even need to go too far. What does politioma mean? Like what word can we get from polity? Politics, right? What does politics represent? I, I, like administration of a nation, right? The the political system of a nation, which has to do with what citizenship. So you may see the word in King James as conversation, and you're thinking it means uh, uh, talk. But it actually means in the Greek, your citizenship, your being a part of a nation. You see this, a community that is citizenship. You see that? So it says, for our conversation is what? Our conversation is in heaven. So it makes sense, right? He's saying, you are from heaven and then you look forward to the savior lord the lord jesus christ now it tells you this this is verse 21 i want to um make it big let me just highlight it with this because this is very very um very very beautiful to to read and if you want to memorize anything can i give you a small task can i give everyone a small task to memorize philippians 3 20 to 21. All right, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for this revelation uh, that we are waiting for you. We are citizens of heaven. We await from it a savior, a savior who will transform our weak, lowly bodies into the resurrected bodies that you already have, Lord Jesus. And you will do all of this by the power that you have within yourself when you put all things under your feet. We give you praise and glory. We thank you. We are the circumcision. We serve God by the spirit, not by our works. And we put our boasts in you. We rejoice in Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for helping us to see the words of Paul as they relate to us. And we will live in the light of this reality. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 That was an awesome meal. Thank you for joining us as we studied the Word of God. If you would like to join the actual World Dinner Sessions live on Fridays, you can visit the link bmg.disha.page. It's always on Fridays, 9pm West African Time. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at bmg.global and see you when next it's dinner time. <laughs>